Welcome to the Revolution Sports Podcast. This is your host, Tyler Wood. Thank you for joining us today on this Wednesday morning. This is the sports edition, so we're going to break down, have a recap of the college football playoff rankings that came out last night, and then going to look at some news that's been going around on the coaching crowd with college football, seeing two coaches having two different scenarios play out, and then we're going to look at just a situation that took place in the NBA the other night, give a little rundown on what happened but uh, just a lot to cover today, especially in the rankings. And we're, I mean, we're at the last week of college football. This is the rivalry week that is coming up, and that pretty much starts tomorrow night on Thanksgiving. We got the first game up. We're going to have Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Um, our preview and predictions will still come out Saturday, so just look for that. Then um, none of the games that we were going to discuss come or are happening on Thursday or Friday. So same schedule with the College of All Preview and Predictions. We'll have a Friday article that'll come out like normal. Um, but Friday we'll have the politics episode. No episode tomorrow. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving, so usually our breaks on Wednesday. We're gonna have it on Thursday because of Thanksgiving tomorrow. So just uh gonna have a day off for that. But for today got plenty of sports to talk about. The rankings came out last night, the one right before, like I said, right before rivalry week and there's just a lot of implications. We're kind of getting a really good idea of how things can play out, especially right before the week before uh, conference championships are going to happen, and then we'll have Selection Sunday the day after, and we'll know exactly how things are going to play out with bowl games and all that type of scenario. But for now, this is what we got. Top four, we got Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, Cincinnati. The first two out, we got Michigan and Notre Dame. So pretty much what we expected. We didn't expect too too much of a difference from that. Um, at least I didn't. I figured that's how it would play out. Um, I did expect Ohio State to jump Alabama. I know a lot of people would probably be shocked by that because they have given Alabama so much the benefit of a doubt over the past couple of weeks. But, I mean, Ohio State won so convincingly against Michigan State. Alabama continues – their defense continues to struggle. Their offense was good, but Arkansas's defense wasn't that great. And so we see them drop down a spot, which I think should be the case. So now you're looking at if rankings hold, everyone wins like they're supposed to. This weekend, you'll have a one versus three matchup in the SEC championship next week. And so that's your top four. Top, first two out, you got Michigan, Notre Dame. Michigan will obviously play Ohio State this weekend, so that is a huge matchup. Basically, whoever wins that one is going to end up getting in as long as they don't screw up their conference championship game in the Big Ten championship. So as long as you don't screw up, you're in. But so this is pretty much the ultimate decider because we're not really expecting either one of those teams to really screw up once they get to the conference championship. But this is college football; anything can happen. But not expecting it. So basically, this is a to me this is a play-in game with that Michigan Ohio State game, and that's going to be our top game of the week, as it should be when you have a number two versus number five matchup. But looking at Notre Dame sitting at number six, Notre Dame. This is something that I said earlier in the season, and I still hold it to be true because I just don't see it really happening. There is a very, very, very small scenario where they can get in, but it would obviously take a lot to happen, and I just don't see it happening because of who is sitting at number seven. We see Oklahoma State sitting at number seven, and if they can win out the rest of the way, they're going to play Oklahoma this weekend. I fully expect them, well, 
I fully expect them to play well being at home. If they win that and then they win the conference championship, win the Big 12, to me they will jump. They, I wouldn't be surprised to see them jump Notre Dame just this Sunday if they beat Oklahoma. So I would expect them to slide into that either that five or six spot because if Michigan loses, you'll see them drop. I would expect Oklahoma State to jump to that five spot if they beat Oklahoma. I expect the t- the the first four here, the one through four, I expect them to hold more than likely. I'll we'll break down that Ohio State Michigan game and we'll look at it. Um, and I'll give you a prediction on that. But first through four, if it holds, you're looking at Oklahoma State jumping up to that five. I fully expect Notre Dame to sit at that six, and I just don't see that changing. The only way Notre Dame has a shot to slide in is this is gonna. It, it would just have to be a crazy scenario. You'd have to see Georgia beat Alabama. Alabama would drop out. You'd have to see Oklahoma State slip up to Oklahoma or slip up in the Big 12 championship. And in that case, if Alabama slides out, Notre Dame's only loss being to Cincinnati, they may be inclined to slide Notre Dame into that top four. It just takes a lot. Notre Dame does not control their own destiny, and they probably could control their own destiny if they got in a conference. I mean, if they're in the ACC and you go like they were last year because of COVID rules and all that, if they go, they play in that type of conference. And I know the ACC isn't that good this year, but if they go win that, you got a conference championship, you got a 13th game, you don't really have to worry about Oklahoma State jumping you, in my opinion, because you're showing something that week. So, I mean, the committee still could jump you because they're probably going to play better competition than what Notre Dame would. But with your only loss being to Cincinnati, with it not being an absolute blowout, you probably could see them sneaking in there with that. But since they're only playing 12, they haven't really played anyone else convincing outside of Cincinnati. If Oklahoma State beats Oklahoma, who is sitting at number 10 now, and then you turn around and win in the Big 12 championship, I fully expect them to jump. Um so, just a lot of interesting stuff here. I think one only real big discrepancy I had this week looking at it was the fact that Wake Forest is still sitting at, well, they're sitting at 18 now. They were at 10 last week, so they dropped eight spots. That's a lot of spots. But the problem I have is is that Clemson can go and beat Wake Forest by 21. It was 48 to 27, but Clemson only slides in at 23. I don't expect Clemson to get into the teens, but I expect Wake Forest to fall that that far because, once again, they've shown that their defense is so bad. The first time that they come up against a really good defense, they falter. I mean, that, I guess you say falter. They still put up 27. That was the highest point total that someone's put up against this Clemson defense. But when Clemson's offense, which has been notoriously bad all season, comes in and drops 48 on you, you're sitting here, and it just shows your defense is not ready to compete against the bigs. And if Clemson beats you in a head-to-head, I know Clemson's got one more loss, but this Clemson team has improved vastly since the first couple of weeks of the season where they lost those games. They've improved so much, I would give Clemson the nod ahead of them. But to me, it just seems like you really can't figure out what, what type of what they're looking at. If you're looking at head-to-head, obviously that went out the window when Michigan was above Michigan State. Uh but they said, and then they used it, you know, they used Oregon over Ohio State in the head-to-head when Oregon was at three. And so, I mean, you just don't know what they're using here. So they're not using head-to-head here, but if they're using eye tests, it doesn't matter because Clemson obviously whooped Wake Forest. So, I don't know, it kind of just seems like, oh, you lost, you deserve to fall a couple of spots. Oh, you won, you beat a team. You Oh, you should be able to jump into the top 25. It, to me, it's just, it doesn't make sense. Do, I mean, do you honestly believe that... Wake Forest is better than Clemson right now. Obviously not. We just saw them lose by 21 last week to them. So to me, the top 25, I don't know. It just 
it doesn't really make much sense to me how how the committee continually puts out their rankings and how they shape things. Just to me, that just makes no sense whatsoever. You can disagree with me if you want to go by wins and losses. That's cool, but to me, everything breaks down just to eye test. If you look at stuff, that's how I break it down. That's how I do my rankings. That's like right now. If you look at the rankings for mine, I have Georgia one, Ohio State two, Alabama three. I have Michigan at four though. To me, Michigan has played better competition. Their defense has looked very, very good. Their offense has improved vastly over the last couple of weeks. Now with McNamara being able to throw the ball a good bit more and that offense, and he's doing it very efficiently, if I would add. I have them sitting at number four. And the reason I feel comfortable putting them at four is, one, like I said, I test, but also because that situation between Ohio State and them is going to work out anyways. And for Cincinnati, whoever loses, you obviously are going to slide in front of anyways. So... I just kind of feel like Cincinnati had been left out so much, they finally said, all right, we'll, we'll slide you in just because you're the next one up. That's kind of what it felt like to me. I just don't feel like they felt like they were deserving. It's kind of just like, all right, you're just the next one up. You'll get slid in. And so Cincinnati to me, I mean, you can. I know a lot of people want to say, oh, they deserve a chance. Play somebody. That's just my opinion. Play somebody. I haven't seen them play anybody other than Notre Dame who is has a pulse whatsoever. And Notre Dame themselves, I mean, they haven't played anyone either to show that they're absolutely dominant team that deserves to be in the top four as well. So, I don't know. It's, you can look at it however you want. You can, I know a lot of people like to get caught up in the wins and losses. I mean, a lot of that a lot of that matters somewhat. Or it matters somewhat, obviously. But at the same time, though, if you're looking at eye tests, I just feel like Michigan's better than Cincinnati. Same scenario when you have the Wake Forest, Clemson, and uh, – that's another thing I was surprised with. I didn't have Oregon drop that far because I kind of felt like, in mine, I had Oregon at 10. They have them at 11 in the college football playoff. felt like Oregon, they slipped up in that one. I expected them to slip up because Utah has been playing so well. But because of that, I expected Utah to be a little bit higher. I had Utah at 18. They have them at 19. So they only moved up four spots. You beat the number three team. I think you deserve up at least five. Uh, so I was kind of surprised to see that where where Oregon stood. They kind of just – it's one of those things, once again, you're kind of wondering how the head-to-head plays out. They didn't really give it to them. Um, thought definitely they should probably be a, a, maybe a little bit closer. I just kind of threw, threw Utah up there at 18. So, um, I don't know. I just felt like that was a trap game for Oregon. So, I mean, you can't always use the whole head-to-head thing, obviously, either. But when it's definitely a game where it's 48-27, you have to kind of look at that as a scenario where it doesn't make much sense. But – uh, for that one, I mean, Oregon also got beat pretty bad too. So I don't know. It's just however you throw it out there. It's very, it's very hard to judge this stuff and just some of the stuff. The criteria doesn't make much sense when you look at it. But uh, that's been the college football playoff rankings since they pretty much they started this season. This group has been vastly different from the last couple of ones that we've seen because we've obviously seen multiple years where you went by. Who was, we had one year it was most deserving, then we went eye tests for the most part. I mean, that's how Alabama snuck in in 2017 where they didn't even make the SEC championship. Georgia won the SEC championship. Georgia was sitting sitting in there at number three, and then Alabama snuck in at four, even though they didn't play in the conference championship anyways. They said that Alabama just looked better than who was sitting behind them, and they slipped in. And so, I mean, then you have other ones where most deserving, where you had – Notre Dame, who went undefeated last year, still slipped in because they had lost to Clemson, even though they got blown out. You couldn't look at an eye test and expect and say Notre Dame was one of the top four teams, but you can say most deserving. So, I don't know. This one, it's just real hard to figure out what they're rolling with here. It kind of just feels like 
I mean, the way you look at it, it's just kind of just throw teams up there who have who have played well. Obviously, Georgia, anyone would have it number one because of how consistent they have been all year compared to everyone else has not been consistent. They've been kind of up and down. Ohio State at two kind of makes sense for you, but you look, go down the list, is Alabama really three? I don't know. I mean, I got them at three right now just because they continue to win games, so that's that's good. But I test, it's it's kind of iffy sometimes. The offense is really at the, as as good as they are, but – that defense has kind of been up and down. And then, like I said, Cincinnati, it kind of just felt like, all right, you just slide in there because we don't really have anyone else to put in there right now because whoever's been at three or four has consistently lost over the last couple of weeks. So, I don't know, just very interesting. It's going to be an interesting week, a lot of different scenarios that could play out. But a um, couple of games I can look at and tell you who I think is going to win real quick just because we're not having them in our, play, our, our preview prediction for this week. I think Georgia will wipe the floor with Georgia Tech. Um, I'll give you the Ohio State-Michigan one later. Alabama should beat Auburn. That game I could see probably being a little bit more close just because it's going to be at Auburn. I wouldn't be surprised if Bama only won by two touchdowns. i say that's close. It's not really that close, but Auburn's been very up and down as well, playing with the backup now. So that could Alabama should still at least win that one by two touchdowns. East Carolina for Cincinnati, once again, not playing anybody. A lot of people want to say they played SMU last week. To me, that doesn't matter. SMU hasn't ranked. SMU hasn't played anyone either. They've lost a couple of games. That's that's not a good win for me. Just because you did it dominantly, that's what you're supposed to do. And, I mean, they did, but we've obviously seen them struggle with other teams where they've given up points, and they've also not been able to score as much either. So, I mean, they've played a little bit better the last couple of weeks with some of those, I guess you'd say, style points, but – I mean, you're blowing teams out. If that's the case, you got to give Georgia-style points for winning 56-7 to last week and scoring 49 in the first half against, I mean, against uh, whoever they played last week. I'm, tr- I'm just blanking on the name right now, who they played. Um, but same thing with Ohio State. they got to get style points. They won 56-7, and obviously they did get style points. But what I'm saying is, though, if style points matter so much to Cincinnati, they should be given to everyone else, but... And to me, there's like I said, there's just so much inconsistency when it comes to it. Just not seeing who they're, how they're doing. But Michigan at five, Notre Dame, they should win. Oklahoma State, that Oklahoma one would be one I give you. Baylor's another team to watch out for. They're sitting pretty good right now. I don't think they really got a shot of getting in there just because of having two losses. But you never know. Just depends on how the craziness of stuff shakes out. Ole Miss at nine, Oklahoma ten. The Ole Miss Mississippi State game. I'll give you a prediction on that one, real quick. Let me pull it up. Let me look at it. Got Miss at Mississippi State at home. They're seven and four. They've also been very up and down this year. One game where their defense plays well, then their 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 defense struggles. The offense has been great. Will Rogers has been phenomenal this year. One of the best quarterbacks. I would say probably you'd have to put Bryce one Bryce Young at one, and then you'd have to put Will Rogers at two. I don't think there's really any question when it comes to that. Three, you could really well. You'd have to either do Matt Corral or or. Um, or Will Rogers. You could do either one. They both played well. Um, I don't know. The way Will Rogers has been playing over the last couple of weeks, I would have to go Will Rogers. And then you go Matt Corral. And then you could fill in the blank with whoever else. But Will Rogers has been playing phenomenal. So that's going to be a good game. I mean, Mississippi State being at home. Ole Miss playing down to their competition last week against Vandy. It just depends on how this Ole Miss defense comes out. We saw them have a phenomenal performance against this Texas A&M team a couple of weeks ago, or two weeks ago now, when they won. And they won pretty dominantly. And then defense showed out, and then you give up 17 to Vanderbilt. Do not play well. The offense only scores 31. I don't know. This could be a this could be a toss up, but I feel like 
Lane Kiffin has a chance here to get us New Year's Six Bowl. I think he understands that. He'll want his guys to be prepared. I wouldn't be surprised if they – I wouldn't say run away with this this one, but I wouldn't be surprised if they won by two touchdowns when it comes down to it. But Mississippi State's a one-and-a-half-point favorite in that one, so that's that's definitely surprising considering that Ole Miss is ranked number nine. But So just looking down the list, there's going to be a lot of good games this week. Obviously, rivalry week, anything can happen. Um just a lot of good games. You got Michigan State, who's got Penn State. That's going to be a fun one to watch, just because both teams have. I mean, Michigan State has no defense. If you watch last week, and Sean Clifford is playing some of the best football of his life for, life for Penn State. I wouldn't be surprised to see Penn State upset Michigan State in that one at all, just because of how bad their defense has been playing, especially through the air. We talked about it when we went over the recap on Monday that their pass defense is ranked 130 out of the nation, which is dead last. I mean, that's absolutely terrible. No wonder they got torched by C.J. Stroud and the Ohio State Buckeyes. But that's, I mean, shouldn't be a surprise to anyone when you look at it after you after you see that stat. That's just something that no one brought up. But I wouldn't be surprised to see a similar scenario play out this week where Sean Clifford torches. I mean, it won't be to the same degree that it happened. I also expect Michigan State's offense to give them, give them a little bit more. They just look totally discombobulated going to Columbus and trying to play in that matchup. But I think they'll be a little bit better. But that Penn State defense, I would would not be surprised to see if they – they frustrate them and get them into some some bad situations. So I would probably go Penn State in that one. I just don't trust Michigan State the way they've looked over the last three weeks. You had that loss to Purdue, and then you turn around and you lose to Ohio State in the next couple of weeks. It's just not a good look for them, and you hate it because Mel Tucker had those guys rolling. They were playing so well, they were buying in. But you can just see it's really hard to turn around a program in just a second year, and very few have been able to do it. Some have been able to because some of the pieces have been there. But that's just a hole that really just can't be filled. You can't really put a Band-Aid on that and hope it works out. Just that, I mean, there was plays in that Ohio State matchup where there was just guys completely open all over the field. They'd run play action, dude, I mean, 10 yards away from the the next defender being able to catch the football, get a touchdown. I mean, it's just it's terrible when you look at it. But like I said, that's the reason why you're 130th in the nation when it comes to pass defense. But got a lot of good games. It's going to be fun, but – Looking at some of the other news that's coming out of college football, we got two big stories that that came out. One, I'm not going to elaborate too much on. I was wasn't really too too surprised. I thought there was a possibility, a small possibility, that he might move somewhere else, but he decided to stay. We see James Franklin ink a 10 year deal with Penn State, so he wants to stay there for a long time, and obviously they're happy to have him. He's played. I mean, he's done a good job there. If he can recruit just a little bit better, they'll probably have a really good team there in Penn State, but. If his recruiting picks up a little bit, but I was surprised to see how the length of it was. I expected maybe a six-year, five-year, something like that, but 10 years, it just seems like maybe he wants to just stay there long-term until he's done. So 10 years, that's a lot of time, but it's also at the same time that you have 10 years to produce something, and if you don't start producing a championship, I would say, within the next two or three years, or not a championship, but at least be heavily competitive in the top five for a playoff spot for a Big Ten you know, Big Ten championship play, like playing in the conference title game, you might be hearing some rumors about him on the hot seat because they've been close a couple of times now with him there and just somehow keep coming up short late at the end of the year. So that's something to watch for. But similar situation did happen to someone we saw with Dan Mullen where he goes and gets fired from Florida. That was something that, I don't know, it was just very surprising to a lot of people. It really wasn't surprising to me, and this is, people kept saying, oh, he deserved another year. He deserved another year because it was only one bad year. They were competitive at the beginning of the year. They were competing with Alabama, only lost to two by Alabama. You know, they were in the top ten, and all of a sudden they just took a bad turn. 
we don't know what really happened. Yeah, we don't know what happened, but here's the thing. At some point, he lost that team. And when I say he lost that team, his players stopped playing for him. It seemed like they were shutting him out. And you can tell when that happens. You can just see a whole team that does not buy into their program, does not buy into their coach, does not buy into what he's selling. And that was just a scenario there in Florida. And you really couldn't turn away from it. Like you, I mean, it was obvious. I mean, you go from where you're 3-1, and one, you're in the top 10, you've just played close to Alabama, and then you go and absolutely just choke. And you're, you're fighting for your life now. They're 5-6, and six, and they have to win against Florida State this weekend if they want to get bowl eligible. And so you go from being three and one to you've only won two games since then. You're two and nine in your last Power Five matchups. Two and two and nine. Two and nine. I mean that that's terrible. That's crazy. I mean two and nine. I mean I could. That, I don't even see how that's even. I mean that's like a. I mean I don't even know how you really characterize it. I mean two and nine, and you lost nine games, only won two. You couldn't even beat the likes of Missouri. You couldn't even beat the likes of. I mean you go down the list. You lose to. So many di- different teams that you thought they would be able to win. Thought they would, A lot of people, it was hilarious just a couple of weeks ago, we had the Georgia-Florida matchup, and everyone was saying that that game was going to be competitive. Wouldn't be surprised if Dan Mullen was able to keep it within one score. Some people were saying a one-point win by Georgia. I mean, like, you go from all that to you go to five and six. You lost your team somewhere along the way, and there was no way to repair it. And then you lose to and you lose an overtime to Missouri. They go for two and get it. Just shows the lack of heart. It just shows that they're not they're not buying into what's happening. And then the biggest issue that was I knew was going to be an issue from the very start when you saw the way Kirby Smart was recruiting at Georgia, constantly getting pulling recruits from Florida, being in the top five consistently, being in the top three consistently in the recruiting class. It was going to be very hard because I mean Georgia's pretty much dominating, other than Alabama, that Southeast when it comes to pulling recruits. I mean, they're consistently in the top one or two spot. And he stole like three recruits from Florida in the last couple of weeks. And so when you see that type of stuff happening and he's, I mean, Dan Mullen, he was getting the top 10 class right there at the edge of 10, but you're only still getting four stars and you're only getting three stars. And then you have to go and compete against multiple, multiple five stars. And we saw that when you match up against Georgia, you see that when you match up against Alabama and we saw that somewhat. That's how Alabama won that. They didn't really win based off of who was, I mean, really who played the best that day. They didn't. They won because Alabama has all those players, has all those athletes who can make plays. Florida had the game plan, had everything you need to. You just don't have the players to be able to compete. And then at some point they lost them. And then, I mean, you play a bunch of five stars, you get the result you did against Georgia where they just absolutely blow them out. And they're fighting just to score points right at the end of the game. So, I mean, you go from almost beating, the, at the time, the number one team in the nation to slipping to getting blown out just a couple of weeks later to only being, I mean, being five and six, hoping you can make a bowl game. So, I mean, it makes sense why they lost him. He just wasn't able to recruit, wasn't able to bring in guys that they needed. And to be able to play in the SEC, to be able to win championships, you have to be able to recruit. You see Alabama, you see Georgia, you see, I mean, you throw up a team, Clemson, you throw up all these different teams. They got five stars galore, who and they consistently consistently compete for championships, for conference titles. And Florida hadn't been able to do that. They had the best season last year where they finally beat Georgia and won the SEC East in a Georgia, what people would consider a down year where they had only two losses. And, I mean, they had Kyle Trask. They had, I mean, so many good players on that Florida team. And you lose four games still last year. 
And I mean, you just see how sometimes the players were undisciplined. We saw that in the where the shoe, what I call a shoe game, where the player throws the shoe in the LSU matchup and ends up basically costing them the game by the penalty. They LSU got a first down, was able to basically take a knee and end the game. I mean, it's just undisciplined. You didn't see players progress as much. He was able to get a lot out of his three- or four-star players. That is something you have to give him credit for. He was able to do that at Mississippi State as well. But Mississippi State there, they're not expecting you to win a national championship. They're not a national championship caliber program like Florida has been because they won recently. I mean, they won in 2006 and then 2008, and they haven't won since. They've been to the SEC championship a couple of times, but – now you only made it one time, and then you go from that to five and six. Most people aren't going to survive that, especially when it looks like you lost the team. Recruits are leaving. I mean, they had guys committed that turned around and flipped to Georgia. That's just not a good look whatsoever. So at that point, I mean, you have to make a change. Scott Strickland, he was down there. He just he said he felt like a change was needed, and now they're looking for a guy that's going to be able to recruit. The problem is, though, if you're Florida, I mean, who are you going to get? I mean, there's a couple of guys you can get, but what person is out there right now in the coaching portal that you're going to be able to say, hey, we'll offer you a contract. We need you to come in here compete, compete in recruiting against Kirby Smart. There's not one guy out there that you would trust to be able to do that. I mean, Kirby is, the, is one of the best recruiters the game of college football has ever seen. He did it while he was at Alabama pulling, helping, helping Saban pull in five-star defensive players, and now he's getting them all at Georgia. And that's why Georgia's defense is so good because he's basically getting all the defensive players when it comes down to it now at Georgia. And so that's what he does. And there's no one – I don't see anyone that they, they could bring in there that's really going to change that. Do I think maybe there's a possibility they could get someone in there – that might be willing to come in and can do a decent job. Yeah, you might be able to – I mean, Dave Aranda's been a name thrown out. I mean, you've seen Bob Stoops. I, no one's going to think Bob Stoops is going to do that good of a job. But you got a couple of guys that you can throw out there. But, I mean, sure, some of these other guys can come in here and pick up a – I mean, bring in a couple of – maybe a one or two five-stars, maybe bring you in a, a decent player here and there, maybe make them, you know, a competitive where they can go nine and three, where they can maybe even go ten and two. But when you're – we obviously know that – that game, the SEC East runs through Jacksonville. Whoever wins that Georgia-Florida game is going to end up basically winning the East. And so if you can't win that game, and you're not going to be able to consistently unless you have great players every year, and you're just not getting that in Florida. So it's going to be very interesting to see who they pull. I don't know. I mean, I just don't trust whoever whoever's out there right now that they can find. I think you'll probably see a – a very similar situation where they try to maybe bring in an outside hire to see, I mean, maybe a coordinator who says that they have had success in recruiting and try to bring them in, and then you end up having a similar situation to Jim McElwain or, um, I mean, that type of situation. And then they end up being okay, average, and everyone says, okay, just give them a couple years, and it's just consistently average, and you're hoping you're eight and five by the time the year is over with or six and six. And then you move on from there. So I think that's a similar situation that you'll probably see play out there. And it's sad because Florida has history. We've seen them be good in the past. And it's football's always good when Florida's good, other than their fan base can't stand their fan base. But it's just sad. I mean, right now that's just the case of it right now, though, because it's the, the league is so top-heavy between Alabama and Georgia right now, and I just don't see that changing anytime soon. I mean, it's a similar situation there at Auburn. You move away from Gus, who was the only one that had success at Alabama, just because you couldn't be able to win the big games and be able to get you over the hump. Same situation there in in Florida. And then you got to go find someone. So they bring in a guy like who they did at Auburn and Harsons, and then they expect him to go and out-recruit Saban 
and then they expect you to beat Saban at some point. You just don't see it happening. I mean, the guy's probably a good, I mean, the guy's a good coach, but you just don't see it being the big time hire that you need. And I just kind of felt like it was a bad time for Florida to do it. But he lost the team, so I mean, you really didn't have a choice. But he'll probably end up somewhere. He'll be an offensive coordinator, or maybe some smaller program or hire him. Maybe he can end up in the SEC at a smaller program. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, or he can end up anywhere. I mean, he'd be good in any offensive conference, the Big 12, maybe even the Big 10 at an offensive school. Maybe he can t- elevate their game because the guy's a genius offensive coach. We've seen that. I mean, some of the stuff he runs, just the way he's able to pick out matchups that he wants, I mean, he does a phenomenal job when it comes to that. So, I mean, he'll end up somewhere, even as offensive coordinator. Someone would be dumb not to hire him. I think he's good for that. I just don't think he was a good leader. He didn't. He wasn't smart, and one of his downfalls was not firing Todd Grantham sooner. It literally took games where the defense was just absolutely atrocious before he actually fired him. And that was, I mean, four years into his tenure there when he should have fired him probably two years ago and moved on from there because everyone knows that wherever Todd Grantham has been, the defense has been decent, but then they always somehow, whenever they play in the big matchups, they don't show up. I don't know why that is. I don't know if that's that's lack of preparation or just lack of execution. I don't know, but something's not getting into that, and you've seen that consistently for four years at Florida, and then you finally, as an emergency move to try to keep your job, you make that move finally. It's just not... It just wasn't a good situation. You can kind of see it spiraling out of control. So it would be interesting to see if they can even get bowl eligibility this week against Florida State. I would not be surprised if Florida State ended up winning that game and just ended the season. I mean, they gave Mullen the option to coach in that game. He said no. He'd just rather move on. I mean, that's his decision because, I mean, what what happens? I mean, you end up winning, then you got to play a bowl game, so you're there for another month. I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense to me why he would want to move on. Maybe he could go find himself another job. But Florida, they're at the t- the point now where they got to figure out their, who they're going to end up hiring. So that'll be something that we'll definitely be keeping an eye on and see who they end up picking up down the road. But other than that, that is college football for this one. But we do have one story we want to run over real quick from the NBA. We see LeBron James was suspended for one game that took place last night. He was out. But... Just the events, I mean, it happened just a couple of days ago before we were able to talk about sports. We were talking about politics when when that happened. And uh, just, it was, I mean, the first time LeBron's ever been suspended, it was it was kind of crazy just how it all transpired. If you actually saw it, LeBron was at the free throw line. They were all lined up. The guy was shooting a free throw. They end up shooting it. LeBron gets boxed, or was going to box the guy out. The guy grabs his arm. He kind of just rears back, ends up hitting them in the face. And then end up bloody in Isaiah Stewart's eye. And then it was just absolute madness after that. We see Isaiah Stewart trying to attack basically three different times trying to go at LeBron. He's having to be held back. He ended up getting thrown out of the game. Had to go to the locker room. They're trying to run him into the locker room. And, I mean, he just he would not stop whatsoever. I mean, it was a crazy situation that you see. The interesting thing to me after it happened, though, is we saw the Lakers end up turning around and winning in that one. So that was really interesting, and I'll get to that in a moment. But as a result of this, LeBron got ejected just for the second time ever in his in his career because of it. And then on top of it, we see him get the one-game suspension that he served last night. First time he's ever been suspended in his career. And Isaiah Stewart got two games because he did not stop. If he would have just stopped and took it, he wouldn't have got anything. But the fact that he continued to escalate the situation, he ended up getting two. 
I don't think, and this isn't, I mean, I've been a, a LeBron fan as a player, not as a person. As a player, I've been a fan of LeBron, and that's not why I'm saying that I don't think this was on purpose. It didn't look like it was on purpose. It just looked like he swung back, didn't expect to really catch him in his face. He ended up catching him in his face. I mean, LeBron's not known for being a ultimately dirty player. I mean, every player has had dirty moments, but I just don't think this was, I don't think it was intentional that he tried to hit him in his eye and try to bloody his face up or anything like that. I don't think it was anything to do with that. But league rules, he struck him in the face. Apparently, was, there's like a closed fist rule or something like that. He ended up getting a one-game suspension out of it. So, obviously, that makes sense. Understandable. That's league rules. And then, like I said, Isaiah Stewart just would not stop. Escalated the situation. All players got involved. Had all coaches on the floor. We have security come in, try to break it up. And, it, I mean, it, it just seemed like every single time it was done, the first time it happened, they met face-to-face. They broke him up. Isaiah Stewart looked like he was done. LeBron was obviously done. He went near the bench or by, down by the baseline. And then you see Isaiah Stewart trying to come back. I don't know if he was coming at a different player the way it looked at. We saw Russell Westbrook barking at him. We saw Anthony Davis get into it a little bit. We see him come back. Then it seemed like they finally got him done again. Then a third time he jumps in. And then by that point they had ejected him. He was out. And then he ends up running to the locker room. He's pushing his own coaches. He's running through his own coaches. I mean, it's just a terrible look for Isaiah Stewart. And I understand he's upset about that. It it seems like it was dirty. It wasn't. But there has to be some point. There has to be a point where you stop yourself and you control yourself. So it makes sense why that suspension comes in for, for two games and more than LeBron. Because some people are upset. Oh, LeBron, just he's just getting protected by the league. No. Le, I mean, he hit it. LeBron tried to apologize. It was over with. LeBron didn't do anything else. He got his one-game suspension. He accepted it. No one, He didn't complain about it. Then you see Isaiah Stewart. He just continually and continually tried to escalate a situation into something worse than what it already was. So that's very understandable. But with that, though, that's that situation there. But it was hilarious because the Lakers were down basically that whole game. LeBron gets out, and the Lakers respond and end up winning that game, and they say they won it for LeBron. And the Lakers had just been struggling pretty much all year when you look at it because they, well, not really, I wouldn't say all year. They've just been very up and down, very inconsistent. I mean, they they were sitting basically at 500 at this point and just wondering when they were going to turn it around. But that just finally seemed like the game where they did. I mean, I wouldn't say turn it around, but they were able to finally get themselves together, end up turning that game around and ended up winning. So a lot of people are asking, is that the point where they turn stuff around? Well, we don't know. I mean, they struggled a little bit last night in that Knicks game. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they respond from that. I mean, obviously they were out. They were out without LeBron in that matchup, but I think that could be a that could help them be a leaping point for them to figure out and kind of bond as a team to get to that point. But I even said when we talked about our preview for the 2021-2022 NBA season that I didn't feel like the Lakers were really going to be anything that good until you get to about the midway point of the season because it's just going to take a while. you got three superstars on that team that really have to form cohesion, learn how to play together, and then LeBron was out already with the injury earlier in the year. It just, I mean, it's going to take time. So it may even be a little bit longer. I think they'll slip in with the low seeds, you know, five or six, something like that. But I think they'll eventually get it rolling at some point. It's just going to take time. I mean, some people are already overreacting. Oh, well, they should have done this. They should have done that. I mean, you can make that argument for anything when stuff is not stuff is not going well, but you have to give it time. We're only we're not even fully twenty games into the season right now in the NBA season. We got eighty one games total, so I mean, there's still sixty plus games to go. It just does not make sense to go and start saying, oh, this dude needs to be fired, this needs to happen. I mean, should they maybe have signed Buddy Hill over Westbrook? I mean, we don't know. We'll never know. But that's just, I mean, you can't say that right now. You have to see long-term effects of stuff. All this stuff is going to take time, and we'll eventually see it. 
it's just going to be a matter of, I mean, when it happens, if we finally see by the end of the year that they haven't done it, well, that experiment probably needs to be over, and they need to move on, and they need to figure something else out. But if you start seeing by midpoint, they're starting to really f- turn it up. You know you made the right choices. You got to start, I mean, just just roll with it. And so I fully expect that's what's going to happen at some point. I think people will realize this stuff, it does work. But when you have three superstars that are trying to work together and trying to figure out who you know who should score, who should take this shot, when, who should dom- dominate in the last couple of minutes, there's a lot to figure out there. I mean, people forget when the big three in Miami took place, We it took them a while. I mean, it took them probably 20-plus games to be able to figure stuff out before they did. And then they finally got rolling, made the NBA Finals in their first season together. Now, I mean, that's obviously different. you got three stars that are young in their prime. I mean, I don't know if everyone's in their prime here in L.A., but you got three stars here. And so you also got Carmelo. Carmelo's been huge for the Lakers, but just give them time is what I'm saying. It's going to take a little bit longer. You've had situations with injuries. You didn't have that when you had the big three, but you got three really good players. I think at some point they'll figure it out. LeBron continues to say they'll figure it out. They'll get better. I think it will, but like I said, you're only at this point. They've played, they've played a total of 19 games at this point. So you got to just give it some time, and we'll see what happens later on at the end of the season. But for now, they are struggling a little bit. But that could definitely be a a leaping point for them to come together. And say, hey, we had we played bad, but we found out we could come together and we could play well as a team and be able to win basketball games when we play for each other. And so that's something that could definitely help them out. That's a a moment that I'm sure that they'll probably remember. Or, I mean, like I said, you, I mean, you never know with this type of stuff. It definitely could be a leaping point, but it could also be just one of those moments where, oh, yeah, that was cool. We played together, you played well together, and then it just, you know, it just goes away. I mean, you never know. So you just kind of have to watch for it. But it's definitely a – if we look back and we see them over the next couple of games start to turn stuff around, you can go and you can look at that moment as a reason for their tur- their turning point and how, they're, how they look later on. So – but with that said, though, that is our show for the day. We are going to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. Hope everyone enjoys lots of food, lots of family time. And just remember, be thankful for what, everything that you have. Remember to give thanks. And uh, we'll be doing the same here at Revolution Sports. So with that said, though, thank you for joining us on today's episode. Do not forget, Friday we'll have our politics episode, so be looking for that. And then Saturday we'll have our college football preview and prediction show. The article will be coming out Friday, so be looking for that. We will still be giving you news all throughout the week, whether it's Thursday, if there's anything that happens on Thursday. Make sure you're following our social media pages for all that, for all breaking news, sports, and politics. You can find the links to those at our website at therevolutionsports.com. We also have articles on there for people to read if you're looking for something to read. Or if you're looking for our preview and predictions articles, they are on there. We also, this is something that I always end up forgetting to mention, we also do have news on there from the uh, last couple of days that we like to highlight on there. So that way you can go through and click there and then you can find the links to those articles on there so all that at therevolutionsports.com we will have an announcement <clears throat> friday about some sales we'll be doing for our merch shop where you can be able to find some stuff for black friday and cyber monday some deals will be running so make sure you take a quick look at those we're going to have some good stuff we got our let's go brandon shirts that are going to be on sale we also got some uh just some revolution sports merchandise got some hats got some shirts got some mugs all that type of stuff. So be looking out for that, though. But like I said, thank you for joining us today. Hope everyone has a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you in the next one.